Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Well, thank you, Amber. Good morning, everybody. How are we this morning? You've heard me sing, now you get to hear me preach too. How good's that? You're, you're lucky this morning. Well, hey, if you're new or visiting and you don't know me, my name's Angus. I'm one of the leaders here at the church and also a very warm welcome to those joining us online. Uh, we're also going to invite the United Kids to head out and I'll do the reading while they are on their way. So, today we are going to be reading from Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the Bible. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think that one of the great tragedies of society today is how people perceive the Bible. People who didn't grow up in church and sometimes even people who did have an idea of what the Bible is and oftentimes that idea can be restrictive, sometimes it's destructive and other times it can even be a deterrent from faith for them. They might see the Bible as a rule book. It's a set of rules and laws that if you fail to live up to, you go to hell. They might see it as a guidebook where there actually is wisdom in the book, uh, little nuggets of wisdom that will teach you how to live life well. Some might see it as simply a collection of ancient stories that don't hold any real significance to us today beyond tradition. We've always read them and we're always going to read them. But what many people both in and outside of the church fail to recognize is that the Bible is much more than just a rule book. It's much more than just a collection of stories. It's much more than a guidebook. And so it, if you were just to read the Bible as if it were just one of those things, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. You won't fully grasp the true meaning of the Bible or receive everything that it has to offer. And so we're left with the question, how do we read the Bible? It's a good question, and it's one that has a very long, complex answer that if, I, if Josh would allow me, I could be here all day talking about it. Josh isn't here, so I might. 
But it's a, I'm kidding, I won't be here all day, it'll be like 20 minutes. But it's what we're going to be digging into a little bit today. How to read the Bible, just one of the ways that it was intended. But before we jump into it, would you pray with me? Well, loving God, we, we thank you for your word, for this book that has the power to transform lives. God, I pray that as I speak this morning that it wouldn't be my wisdom, but it would be yours coming through me. God, I ask that people would be receptive to your spirit this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was younger, I really loved to read. I still love reading, but I was particularly passionate about it when I was younger, probably around between the ages of 8 to 13. I used to love reading. I'd read before bed, I'd read after my bedtime, I'd read before school, after school, on the way to school. It was the first thing I did when I woke up. I was reading all the time. There was, I recall a time when I was probably in year three and we had silent reading time at the beginning of the day at school and I was reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, probably one of my favourite books in the franchise. And I started reading it in silent reading time and I just got sucked into this fantasy world, this world of witchcraft and wizardry, of magic, of this young boy wizard fighting against the evil forces of Lord Voldemort and his Death Eaters. It was amazing to me how authors could transport the reader into these mystical, magical worlds just by putting words on a page. It was amazing to me. And so I just got sucked into this world. And I was rudely pulled out of that world by my teacher who tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and I said, yeah? She goes, are you still reading? I went, well, yeah, it's silent reading time. She goes, no, it's not. Silent reading time finished half an hour ago. We're halfway through our maths lesson. And I went, oh, sorry. <laughs> we had a laugh about it, and we just kept going on with our day. You can't really tell a nine-year-old off for reading too much, so I did pretty well there. But I wasn't too mad. I didn't like maths anyway. I also remember around that same time, maybe a little bit later, when mum started going to church and she started bringing the rest of the family along with her. And not long after that, she got me this Bible right here. I was about 11 years old at the time, and this isn't just any Bible. This is a Bible for teens. And I was only 11 at the time. I can't explain to you how important this Bible was to me at 11 years old when it was made for teens. It was incredible. And I got it, and I said, man, check out this bad boy. Look how many pages there are. There's over a thousand pages. I'm going to read this whole thing front to back, and I'm going to brag to all my friends about it. And so, I opened it up to Genesis chapter 1, and I began my journey through the Bible. And I was tracking pretty well. I was doing a good job until I hit Leviticus. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there are 66 little miniature books in it. Leviticus is third. I did not get very far. When I hit Leviticus, I suddenly became a lot less optimistic because it's pretty much Moses speaking to the Israelite nation on behalf of God about how they are supposed to behave, how they're going to be different to the rest of the world. And what that meant was rules, laws, lectures. Not great literature for an 11-year-old to be reading especially if you're trying to keep my interest. And so, 
I tried, I really did, but I just couldn't do it. It was too boring, there weren't enough dragons, so I ended up giving up my quest to read through the Bible just as quickly as it had begun. Now, I want to stress here that there is nothing wrong with reading the Bible front to back. It's a perfectly legitimate way to read the Bible, and I actually know a couple of pastors who make it a habit to do so regularly. But if you don't know the Bible well, if you're new to faith, you're still exploring it, I would not recommend this approach. Because just like I did, you're going to burn yourself out just as quickly as you began. But my point is, when I was 11 years old, I had a preconceived idea as to how the Bible was supposed to be read. I had a preconceived idea as to what it was. I thought, it's a book. You're supposed to read books front to back, right? That's how you're supposed to read books. But the Bible isn't like every other book. It's not like a Harry Potter book. And that's because it has lots of different types of literature within it. It has history, it has law, has poetry and songs, prophecies, visions, narrative, story, parables, wisdom literature. There are so many different types of literature in this Bible. And so to simply approach it as if it were any other book would be a mistake. I know a lot of people who are followers of Jesus, but they choose not to read their Bible because it's too hard, because they don't understand it, or because simply they don't enjoy it. I think a big part of that is because they just approach it the wrong way. You can't read the Bible the same way you would read a Harry Potter book, where you read through it once and you think, yeah, that was, that was a pretty good book. I didn't mind that. You put it down and then you don't pick it up again for a couple of months, a couple of years, because you've already read through it. It's not like that. Where most books are written as entertainment or art or self-help, maybe social commentary, the Bible has its own unique purpose. As Christians, we believe the Bible was inspired by God or God breathed. And by that, we mean that the various writers of the Bible uh, give an inspiration directly from God about what to write. In a sense, the words of this Bible are from God. They're not just made up by the authors, they're from God. And so, God would be the real author of the Bible. He just used people to put it onto paper. And so, if God is the true author of the Bible, the Bible is God's self-revelation to humanity. It reveals to us God's plan for us as his creation, our failings, but then our ultimate redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, since the words of the Bible are from God, they're not just like any other book, any other words, and any other page. They have the power to radically change our thinking. There is transformational power in the words of this book that no other book will ever have. And this transformational power is shown to us through Psalm 1. There are many different types of psalms, but this one falls under the banner of wisdom. It's a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that shows us, gives us instruction on how to live life well. And it outlines just one of the ways in which the Bible was intended to be read. I want to draw your attention to verse 2. Are we able to get verse 2 up on the screen, please, Ken? 
That's right, I'll read it anyway. It says, they delight in the law of the Lord. That's the fancy way of saying the Bible. They delight in the Bible and they meditate on it day and night. There it is. Meditate. The key word in there is meditate. When we think of meditation in our Western understanding, we might imagine someone like a monk with a shaved head with his sitting on the floor, legs crossed, I'm not gonna do it, um, hands up, eyes closed, and he might be saying some kind of mantra. He might be going, oh, oh, or some other one. We might think of yoga, maybe emptying your mind, sleeping perhaps. And these are all good things. I don't have anything against these things. They're great practices of mindfulness and discipline. But here in Psalm 1, that's not what it means when it suggests that we should meditate on the Bible. To meditate on the Bible means to fill your mind and your feeling with the profound truth that is woven throughout the entirety of this book. It means to read a piece of the Bible and seriously consider what it means and how God is speaking through it. Meditation is, in essence, listening to God. The writer of the psalm isn't saying that the Bible is something you can just read through once and instantly know what it means with the click of your fingers like that. But rather, it was designed to be read over and over, closely, carefully, slowly. Just like how you can study a book from Jane Austen or a play by Shakespeare, you can study the Bible. I'm sure we can all recall times at school when we had English lessons and we'd uh, study a classic piece of literature, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, Macbeth, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Crucible, Animal Farm, so many. And our teachers made us read the text over and over to find deeper meanings, to find the true meaning of what the author was trying to get at. But unlike other great pieces of classic literature, studying the Bible does an internal work within us. It shapes us to become more like Christ. The more we read it, the more we meditate on it through prayer and study, the more we are transformed into the godly people that the psalm describes. The psalm gives us a beautiful image of what it's like to be transformed by meditating on the Bible. Verse three, can we get verse three up please, Ken? Thank you. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now that picture is just so beautiful to me. To be like a tree. Man, how good would it be to be a tree? I wouldn't have any uni assignments, I wouldn't have any responsibilities, if only. But how long does it take for a tree to grow? A long time. It doesn't take a couple of days, it doesn't take a few weeks, not even a few months. It takes years and years, sometimes even decades. That fig tree that's behind the church over there is over a century years old. It's over a hundred years old. The same goes for us in our spiritual growth. 
This transformational work that I've been talking about doesn't just simply happen overnight. It doesn't happen by reading a verse a couple of times. Yeah, that's how it starts. But it takes years of meditation on the Bible to grow and develop into a strong, well-grounded tree. It would be super unrealistic of us to expect ourselves to suddenly become full-grown trees just by reading a few psalms a couple of times. It's like how I can't expect to become an NBA superstar just by making a couple of shots at the basketball hoop near my house. As much as I wish that were the, that were the case, that's not how it works. It takes a long time for change and growth to happen, and then even longer for us to start recognizing that change and to start being rewarded for it. If we keep running with this tree metaphor, let's see how long it takes for some fruit trees to start bearing fruit. Lemon trees are pretty quick by comparison to the rest. They start to bear fruit after about two to three years. Stone fruits like nectarines, peaches, they take three to four years. Apple trees can take six to eight years. Avocado trees take 10 years. And then some orange trees, if planted from a seed, can take up to 15 years before they start bearing any fruit. But in those years, before the tree starts bearing fruit, is the tree still growing? Yes, it is. It's not a trick question. The trees are still growing. The roots are still growing deeper. The trunk is still getting taller and wider. The branches are still growing outwards. It's still growing. And the same goes for us. Just because there doesn't seem to be much happening in your life, just because there doesn't seem to be much happening in your walk with God, it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. The thing about internal transformation is that it's really hard to measure, especially when it happens so slowly. Part of the journey is to trust God that he's doing a work inside of us. I have an aunt who lives in China and I only see her every couple of years. But every time she comes down, she says, wow, you've grown so much. I never noticed the change, but she does, because it's happened over years. Just because I didn't see it, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's also worth noting the imagery of water in the psalm. It doesn't just say that by meditating on scripture you'll be like a tree, but it says we'll be like a tree planted beside a stream of water. And that is a tree with constant access to a source of life and nourishment. For people reading this in the first century around the time of Jesus, this would have been interpreted as water being a metaphor for rich life and rich growth. With this in mind, John chapter seven, verse 37, it says, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This living water that Jesus is referring to is the Holy Spirit. All who come to Jesus and believe in him have access to the living water. 
Jesus is saying here that it is only through him that we can be saved. Yes, we can become like a tree by meditating on scripture. But how long can a tree survive if it doesn't have water? Not very long. We can meditate on the Bible, study it inside and out, know every single word and intricacy, every metaphor that is in this book. But without a relationship with Jesus, without recognizing that he's the one who saves, we're no better than the Pharisees who opposed Jesus in the first place. The Pharisees knew the, knew the Bible, they knew this book better than anyone. And yet they were the very ones who nailed him to a cross. Jesus came and he offered not only a better life by listening to his reinterpreted wisdom of scripture, but so much more. He came and provided himself as a source of living water, a source of everlasting life and a relationship with God the Father. Jesus came, he was crucified on a cross and he rose again so that we would have free and total access to the Holy Spirit. The living water that is a source of nourishment that would never run dry, not even in death. There are some people in this room who don't believe that the Bible is important. But hear me when I say that this book is the most important book ever written in human history. There is a reason that this book has endured for thousands of years. There is a reason that people have died trying to get their hands on this book. There are a reason people have died trying to get this book into the hands of others. There's an organization called Open Doors. And this organization, if you don't know, they work to get the Bible into the hands of people across the world who don't have access to it. Specifically, people in the persecuted church. There are over 300 million Christians today being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. 300 million. And they believe that the word of God is one of the most important ways to build a relationship with God, to build your faith. I've had the privilege of hearing some people from Open Doors speak a couple of times and I've heard stories of people laying down their lives and risking everything to get the Bible into the hands of people who need it. Stories of people who have come to know God because of other people who have meditated on scripture and have then been able to share the truth in this book in a prison cell. There have been people, powerful people, kings throughout history that have tried to censor the Bible, they've tried to destroy it. And yet here it is. It is not an accident that this book is here for us to read today. This book is powerful. And there are people in countries right now who would give up everything to have it because they know how powerful it is. They know that this book has the power to radically change the life of the person who reads it. How are we going? Doing all right? You still awake? That's good. I'm almost done. And as I finish up, I want to emphasize that I want to encourage you. 
I realize it's a bit bleak talking about the persecuted church, but I don't want you to walk away from this message today feeling ashamed or feeling guilty because you don't read the Bible. That's not my heart for you, and that's certainly not God's heart for you. I want to encourage you. I want you to walk away convicted to read the Bible. Not because God wants you to, not because I want you to, although he does and I do, but because you want to be changed. So if you've heard me preach a couple of times, you would know that I like to set you guys challenges. Whether or not you do the challenges, I don't know. But I'm still going to set them. Are you up for it? Great. Well, here at the church, Josh, our lead pastor, he's provided us with the perfect resource to do exactly what I've been talking about, meditate on scripture. It's the Living Water Bible Readings. Now, Josh has put this resource together with a list of Bible readings for each day of the year. This would be a great place to get started on this practice of meditation if you've never done it before or if you've never read the Bible before. Otherwise, like I said earlier, you can just choose your own way. Don't do it front to back if you're new. I would not recommend that. Maybe head into the New Testament. Read one of the Gospels. If you're new to the Bible, Mark would be my recommendation. It's a pretty good um, ramp up into the Bible. But if you already do the Living Water readings, or if you already have a habit of reading your Bible regularly and meditating on it, you consider yourself to be a bit of a Bible veteran, perhaps. Try doing it in a different translation. If you normally read King James, try the message. If you normally read in Good News, try NLT or NIV. If you're feeling especially ambitious, you can try the Amplified version. But like with any practice, this will take time to become good at. Don't be disheartened if you struggle with it the first couple of times. Stick at it. And if you're new to church or you're still exploring what faith means to you, we believe in doing life together as a community. And as a church, we want to support you as best we can. So if you have any questions, anything you're not sure about, don't be scared to ask. Come find me after the service. I'd love to chat to you or find one of our church council members. We've got Anne there. Chris is up the front here. Sorry, I'm Dolan and Chris. <laughs> Come up to us. Don't hesitate. We'd love to chat to you. We'd love to support you as best we can. If you're watching us online, reach out on Facebook. Send us an email. We'd love to connect with you. So as I come to a close, this Bible, not just this Bible, but every Bible, it's a beautiful book. It tells us the story of God and his creation. It shows us how even in our failings, God loves us so much that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but they shall have eternal life. My hope, I'm sure it's God's hope too, is that you would all come to love the Bible. That it would fill you with the living water that is the Holy Spirit so you can grow and bear fruit just like a tree. Would you pray with me? Loving God, once again we we thank you for the truth that is in this book. 
We thank you that whether it's our first time reading it or our millionth time reading it, God, that you still speak to us in new ways. And God, we ask that as we begin to read our Bible, that your truth would be made apparent to us. God, that you would speak to us, transform us into the people that you want us to become, to become more like you, Jesus. God, I ask that we would all be convicted to read this book, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but because we love you, because we love this book, and because we want to be transformed in the way that only you can transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know, or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help Head to gaulyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.